Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I share my recent speech at Universidad Tecnológica de Bolívar in Colombia, titled People Innovation in a Virtual and Hybrid World of Work. It is a pleasure. I really appreciate uh, the the kind introduction. And while I have a slide deck that I'm going to share and will be guiding the conversation, um, I, I really do welcome questions throughout. So please don't hesitate if you have any questions or comments. Uh, please put something in the chat or raise your hand. If I'm sharing my screen, I won't be able to see that. Um, and so if someone else can, if you can speak up, uh, unmute yourself, then that would be great. And then I'll be able to uh, respond. Uh, I'll try to leave time at the end as well uh, for questions, Q&A uh, time, but feel free to, to ask questions throughout. All right, let me go ahead and share my screen again. I shared this slide deck already in, uh, in the chat, so please feel free to pull it up and keep it for your own reference. Uh, as was mentioned, my topic today is people innovation in a virtual and hybrid world of work. Now, the reality is that we've been in a virtual and hybrid world of work for a long time. Uh, this isn't new. We, we've had uh, completely virtual workplaces for uh, for at least a decade and a half, two decades. We've had hybrid workplaces, uh, if you count tele-sales and, and um, other telecommuting types of practices, that's been in place for decades. Um, what is new is the sheer prevalence of it, uh, the, the fact that many organizations that previously were only traditional face-to-face -face organizations have now been forced to shift to virtual and hybrid work models, uh, largely due to the COVID pandemic. Uh, as as you're all aware. So I imagine prior to COVID, most of you would be in the classroom right now rather than just joining via Teams. Uh, and, and so this provides opportunity and it provides challenges to both organizations and to universities as they're trying to connect with their people. Uh, one of the great things about uh, the virtual technologies is that we all have the opportunity to connect with all the convenience that is uh, associated with that. Just the mere fact that I'm able to join you from Utah right now. Uh, I'm one hour earlier than you, and uh, it's it's just part of my workday, and I'm able to log on, and I'm able to join each of you and share some of my thoughts. Uh, that's pretty incredible. And uh, while that was possible pre-pandemic, 
it wasn't the type of thing that many organizations or many universities were really taking full advantage of pre-pandemic. And now I think we're getting really uh, much more used to this and much more comfortable with it. Uh, and so that's opening up a whole world of opportunities. So we're going to explore what some of this looks like uh, currently, how things have shifted in, in the last decade or so, and what we expect to see in the, the future of work as more and more organizations are wrestling with, do we come back face to face? Do we stay virtual? Do we have some sort of a hybrid format to our uh, the nature of our work at our organization and what makes the most sense for us? Um, also, just as a, as a note, on both sides of the presentation here, you can see two of my recent books, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership and The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership. Uh, some of the concepts and principles that we're going to be discussing today uh, are also discussed in those books, as well as many other things. And uh, so I would encourage you to to check that out. Uh, available in virtual, uh, or excuse me, in uh, electronic and hard copy versions, of course. Uh, let me see. I'm going to move forward. Okay. First, I wanted to um, start by exploring this concept of alchemy. Uh, it's it's part of the title of one of my recent books, as you just saw in the previous slide. Um, but I, I really believe it's it's essential as we think about people management and organizational leadership practices as we move into the future of work. Alchemy is a word that describes this mid medieval forerunner of chemistry, a sort of mixture of the art, speculative philosophy, and physical sciences. So before the scientific method, before we had all modern science, we had this idea of alchemy, where pseudoscientists, so to speak, would try to take something precious and of value and find a way through manipulation, uh, through various uh, chemical approaches and such, to try to change the, the very nature of that substance, of that material, to change something that was valuable into something that was even more valuable and remarkable. I like the term a lot because I feel like it connects really well with management, people management, and leadership. The, the truth is there's tons of research on effective leadership. There's tons of research on HR, people management, how to lead people effectively. Um, but as much science as there is, there's still this artistic component. Uh, and I like the idea that we're, we're trying to pull together the best of intuition, the best of arts and sciences, and, and really uh, having a mixture that ultimately we can carry forward uh, to, to maximize our own personal leadership potential and the potential of our teams and our organizations. And I'm a believer that each individual has to discover their own leadership alchemy. There's no one size fits all approach to effective leadership. There's no one model that's going, that's the, the go-to model that uh, ultimately is better than all the rest. Each of us are individuals. Each of us have our own styles, our own personalities, our own upbringings, backgrounds, values, et cetera. And all of those things inform the, the type of leader that we will become. Uh, and we don't need to try to be something that we're not. We need to embrace our strengths. We need to um, develop our weaker areas and ultimately 
we can uh, discover our own leadership alchemy and turn ourselves, something that's already precious, something that's already of, of great value, into something that's even more remarkable and of greater value. Uh, and as we move into the future of work, I believe we need more and more leaders who are willing to do the critical self-reflection, the deep thought, and, and willing to put the work into developing themselves uh, in order to successfully and effectively lead organizations and teams that are increasingly complex and challenging uh, as the world becomes more complex, messy, and challenging in and of itself. Uh, let me see. Okay, so first, uh, why why do we need people-centric organizations? I am a, a believer uh, that the human capital within an organization is the most essential invaluable form of capital. Now, of course, I have that bias because I'm an HR professor. I'm an HR uh, and leadership consultant. So I believe in the, the innate value of individuals. And, and essentially, I, I believe that individuals uh, and the, the members of our, our teams, the human capital within our organizations, they're the ones that create, that innovate, that, um, that develop positive customer experience. And ultimately, they're the ones that are going to help uh, the organization to be successful in a sustainable way in the long run. Uh, there are, of course, many other valuable forms of capital within organizations. Uh, all of them play an important role, uh, but without people, organizations will cease to function. And so we need to, to really be mindful of that. And I think that's of particular importance right now as we're thinking about increased disruptive technologies, as we're thinking about uh, virtual and hybrid work, we're thinking about automation, AI, machine learning, and all of these sorts of things. In this diagram, you can see just a couple sets of outcomes of high-performance, people-centric high-performance work systems. Each of these relationships that you see here in this diagram represent a tremendous amount of research, a body of research uh, with countless studies uh, that have shown these sorts of effects. Um, and there's there's many more that aren't included here, uh, but for simplicity's sake, I tried to to narrow down to just a handful of things that ultimately we know are going to lead to high performance work systems. It starts with creating work that is meaningful, that is fulfilling, and that people ultimately find interest in. So as we create interesting jobs, uh, jobs of meaning and purpose and fulfillment then that leads to more satisfied workers as we have more satisfied workers that leads to more satisfied customers which and we also see lower absenteeism lower levels of turnover which lead to lower costs and leads to higher profits more satisfied customers leads to higher sales and more profits on the other side of this diagram you see knowledge sharing and you see if we have a, a knowledge sharing growth mindset oriented organizational culture and environment where every individual within that organization feels like their uh, their thinking their understanding is needed wanted valued and they have meaningful opportunities to contribute on a regular basis that 
becomes a knowledge sharing environment where people aren't hoarding knowledge. People aren't siloing knowledge. We break down the silos. We find more opportunities to share. And when that happens, the floodgates open and innovation increases. Innovations increase, great uh, productivity increases. We see qu um, the quality of the products and services that we provide increase. That leads to better customer uh, experience. All of this leads to higher sales, higher profits. So there's there's a, a human case for focusing on people and having a people-centric uh, organization, uh, but there's clearly a business case for it too. Uh, people-centric organizations tend to be high-performance work systems. They tend to have better metrics, better outcomes for the organization. And so it's really a win-win when we treat people like people, when we treat people like human beings, autonomous individuals, and we treat them with dignity and respect, uh, it's amazing what can occur uh, as ultimately we can lead to more innovation within our organizations. Now, I've already referred to a few of the different types of technological innovations influencing the shifting, uh, shifting work conditions and the shifting nature of work. Uh, things like automation, uh, robotics, machine learning, artificial intelligence. These have tremendous implications for the very nature of work and the types of jobs that we do, the types of uh, tasks we perform in those jobs, um, and the ability we have with great ease to do some things that, that previously took a tremendous amount of time and energy and mental faculty to be able to complete. Uh, now we have systems and processes and we have, uh, we have technologies that can assist with all of those things and that is wonderful. What that also means, however, is that certainly we're going to see certain jobs disappear uh, or at least certain ranges of tasks and responsibilities within certain bands of jobs will disappear over time. Uh, certain professions will completely transform and there will be a whole new slew of jobs uh, with different roles, different tasks, uh, all of these th things that will be new that we can't even possibly conceive of yet. As, as technologies continue to advance, we're going to see even more opportunity to leverage the capacities of individuals. Uh, and we, we could probably spend, well, easily we could spend at least an hour just talking about uh, these shifting technological innovations and how they're um, shifting the nature of work. Uh, but but uh, that's not going to be the core focus of everything we talk about today. Of course, part of this, though, feeds into what we've been discussing um, already, and that is during the COVID pandemic, we've seen more and more companies shift to virtual work. Uh, this certainly wasn't new. There were virtual, completely 100% virtual companies uh, pre-pandemic. Uh, but it was relatively rare. Now, um, now what we see uh, is this acceleration in, towards adoption of these technological innovations. We see an acceleration into the adoption and the usage of uh, virtual meeting technologies like we're using in Teams, but a whole slew of other things. We also see, uh, we see a, a, uh, an acceleration in the the growth of the contingent workforce and the gig economy and how so many organizations are leveraging uh, pools of talent for rent rather than part, you know, as part time and full time employees. Uh, likewise, many workers, many individuals in the labor force 
rather than working in a traditional corporate job are looking for opportunities to freelance, to be contract workers and to work within the gig economy. And so all of this is fueled and accelerated by the use of these technologies and the the pandemic has has only increased the speed by which we're we're seeing that transition if the pandemic hadn't have happened i would have you know anticipated and guessed that within the next five to ten years we would have seen the level of adoption that we've seen just over the last 18 months but of course that's sped up and now that we've had greater levels of adoption uh, i think we're going to see even continued rapid adoption uh in in shifts in the coming five to ten years all of this then feeds into uh, what I think are the skills needed for the future of work. Uh, here in this diagram, this is taken from the Institute for the Future, their Future Work Skills uh, 2020 report. Uh, they talk about six major meta trend, mega trends um, that uh, are impacting in our drivers of change in the global economy. Uh, an increasingly computational world, superstructure organizations, global, globally interconnected world, new media ecology, rise of the smart machines, and extreme longevity. Uh, we could spend a lot of time dissecting each of those, uh, but uh, you can see the definitions here, and ultimately each of those are shifting what we need from our leaders who lead, what we need from our people uh, who are working within organizations. And in the middle, you can see some of those specific skills that are going to be needed. And note that the skills listed here are not disciplinary specific. Um, of course, within a given uh, industry, within a given discipline or functional area, you'll need specific knowledge, skills, and abilities. You'll need certain competencies. But what we need more of because of the increasing complexities and messiness of the global economy and the shifting nature of work is we need people who are adaptable, people who can pivot and adjust and people, you know, if if uh, a lot of us are going to be working in the future at jobs that haven't even been conceived of yet doing tasks that we don't currently don't do, we can't, you know, go to university to train for things that don't even exist yet. And so we need to develop uh the future workforce with these types of, of uh, approaches and skills and competencies so that they're ready for whatever is thrown at them in the future so things like cognitive load management virtual collaboration media literacy cross-cultural competence design mindset sense making transdisciplinarity and inter interdisciplinarity all of these are those non-specific but highly impactful and important um, different skills uh, and competencies that we're going to need in the future of work. So as I was saying before we paused, I thought um, I could share with you before I share some research, I could share with you a couple of proverbs that have been meaningful and impactful to me as I think about uh, the complexities in the world around us. The first is uh, a Korean proverb uh, that is said chulam jie. So this means bluer than indigo. Bluer than indigo uh, refers to the, the concept, the idea that we're trying to develop others to become uh, more vibrant and even bluer than the bluest of blues. Indigo is the, the most vibrant, deepest, bluest of blues, the truly remarkable color. Um, and it's it's one 
that is rare. And if we can develop others around us to become quote unquote bluer than indigo, then it's a great opportunity for us uh, to ultimately uh, truly shine as a leader. So if, if I as a leader want to be the most effective, then I can't focus just on myself. I have to focus on developing the people around me. I need to have a servant leader mindset and ultimately I need to adopt uh, that kind of an approach. So this is one that I really like. Uh, this feeds into what uh, what I've already mentioned in terms of leading with a growth mindset. That if I see myself and people on my team as capable individuals who can learn and grow, who can pivot and, ad and adapt uh, when they face challenges, um, then we can have a growth culture within our organization that can help everyone to succeed. Another uh, proverb that I really like uh, from Korea is umul ane geguri. Umul ane geguri refers to frog in a well. So imagine that you are like the frog at, a, at the bottom of a well. Uh, you're, you're born in this well. You know nothing else besides this well only your experience at the bottom of this well. Your whole world is dark, damp, wet, limited, and you can only see a little bit of sky above you. But you don't know it's limited because you were born at the bottom of a well. Uh, we're all like frogs at the bottom of a well. We all have our own cultural upbringings, our own family values, our norms, everything that shapes our understanding of the world. And over time, as we grow, as we learn, as we mature, as we develop cognitive, cognitively, morally, uh, we, we are rising higher and higher in the well, and we're able to see more and more of what's outside of the well. When we get to the very top, we can peek our head out of the top of that well, and we notice for the first time that the world is far more expansive uh, than anything we could have ever imagined previously that ultimately this is an amazing world uh, of, of diverse landscapes, different animal life, all of these different things that we never previously could have understood. And the fact is that there are many other wells also with other frogs looking their little heads out of each of the other wells also. Each of them come from their own backgrounds, their own upbringing, their own family values, uh, they, their norms within their communities. And each of them have value. And the uh, one of those competencies that were listed on the previous slide was cross-cultural and intercultural competence. We need individuals in the future of work in uh, particularly as we think about more virtual and hybrid work models where we have distributed workforce uh, across the globe where people aren't geographically bound anymore, but we can have teams from all over the all over North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Africa, wherever that people can join our teams, we need to be able to adopt and embrace the diverse understanding, worldview, and values that people bring to the table. And if we're stuck at the bottom of our well, our ability to understand and show empathy and to really leverage the the unique capacities of each individual on our team will be severely limited. This leads into, in the future of work, um, one of the most important things I feel uh, is that we create organizations 
of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. That organizations um, can truly give every individual the opportunity to fully engage and develop their full potential where everyone thrives, where innovation can um, occur, and where everyone's views, beliefs, and values are integrated and incorporated into the organization. That creates buy-in, that gives everyone an opportunity to contribute. Uh, that is, is deeply meaningful to me and organizational leaders of the future, uh, particularly again, those who lead international teams, distributed teams who are at least partially virtual, perhaps hybrid, that these um, will need to be inclusive organizations, diverse organizations, and diversity isn't just gender, age, race, et cetera. Okay, um, one of the last things I want to share with you uh, is a little bit of research that I've been doing in this area, looking at the shifting nature of work. Um, so here you can see in this model, you can see on the country level, we have country specific contextual variables. We have country specific cultural variables. Those then create the context within which individuals function in the workplace. Within individual countries, influenced by contextual and cultural variables, then we have, you know, individual characteristics, family characteristics, etc. We also have job and organizational characteristics as well. So those create another layer of context around which um, people do their work. And within the workplace, then we have, I, I've categorized them in these four main categories. We have work-life balance um, characteristics, we have intrinsic rewards, we have extrinsic rewards, and we have workplace relations. Now, each of these and in, in all of the different items that make up these uh, categories, these are the lived experience of employees in the workplace on a regular basis. And each of those then lead into employee engagement, job satisfaction, which which leads into uh, productivity, innovation, and a whole bunch of other really positive outcomes, as was indicated in that previous diagram. Some of this initial research, um, just to share with you, uh, we can see, for example, job satisfaction scores as they vary across countries. Uh, in this particular study, I had 37 different countries represented, and you can see some countries with uh, relatively high levels of job satisfaction, 5.9, uh, for example, in Venezuela, um, all the way down to in Japan, 5, uh, 4.5. And so there's there's a, a decent amount of variation with the global mean uh, being right around 5.2. You can also see variation around such demographic factors as age. So uh, the blue line is job satisfaction and then along the bottom axis you see age so as people are younger they're more satisfied and then as they're older they're more satisfied with that mean level of job satisfaction uh, being you know right around 5.3 or so I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, 
It is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. In terms of inferential statistics and regression analysis, this is a lot of data and I don't expect you to, to really understand what all this is. Um, but this shows how the model was created and ultimately a model that can predict uh, a, a very high level, uh, a, a wide range of variability in overall job satisfaction of employees. And again, if you break it down by a country from countries all over the world, you can see model fit uh, and you can see uh, that some in some countries, such as the Philippines, the model doesn't work so well. Uh, in China, the model doesn't work as well. Uh, but then in other countries, like in Australia, the model works extremely well, explaining 63% of the variability in worker satisfaction. Um, so anyways, that was a really quick overview of some of the data from this research. But what does it all mean? What does it actually mean for organizational leaders who are trying to lead virtual and hybrid teams moving into the future of work? So I've broken it down into several categories that I think are particularly important for us to think about as we're trying to lead our organizations. First of all, how do we create more meaningful work uh, for our people? We know that employees want their work to matter. They want uh, to make a difference in the world and in their organization. They want their work to have impact. How do we tap into that desire? How do we tap into that level of motivation? And how do we do it in virtual and hybrid workplaces? Uh, when people are together in person, um, it, that can be tricky to do. But but uh, when people, some people are in person and some people are virtual, it can be even more challenging. So leaders really need to think carefully about that. One thing we know clearly from the research is that job autonomy is very, very important. Uh, one of the things that we've seen over the last 18 plus months during the pandemic, while many people have shifted to virtual work, is that while many individuals uh, previously were nervous about online technologies and they were nervous about working virtually and they weren't sure they would like it, that more and more people really do seem to like it. And a big part of that is because of increased job autonomy. So leaders need to be thinking about how can they build more job autonomy into the daily jobs of their people. So you don't have to be fully virtual to have job autonomy. You can be have lots of job autonomy and be in the physical face-to-face -face workplace. You certainly can do it if you're in a hybrid workplace. Um, so here are some, some of the types of questions leaders should be asking themselves as they think about uh, job autonomy and how to embed it into the types of jobs uh, that members of their team perform. Something else that we've seen, uh, two other uh, main findings, uh, particularly during this COVID time, 
is that people really have enjoyed working from home. So what kind of work from home arrangements can we make for our team? And uh, connected with that is scheduling flexibility. People like having flexibility over their work schedules, when they do their work, how they do their work. Um, and it doesn't really matter if they're doing it early in the morning, midday, late at night, as long as they're getting their work done. Uh, with people working virtually, this happens automatically. Um, the question is, if people are hybrid, how do we build in this kind of flexibility and how do we um, how do we leverage all the benefits of hybrid work um, without undermining um, the, the effectiveness of the organization, the ability of the organization to maintain, maintain its culture, uh, promote its values, et cetera. Uh, another big piece of this, and we, we definitely saw a lot of this during uh, COVID, is flexibility to deal with family matters. So I, I know for me, for example, uh, I have six children. So I'm married, I have six children. Uh, all of my children are in public school um, from high school down to elementary school. When COVID hit, um, both me and my wife were working from home uh, and all six of my children were doing school at home. So how do you juggle helping six children with school all while also trying to get your work done? That's the question. And, and organizations have had to try to figure that out and provide the flexibility for people to take care of their family life, uh, deal with the, the family needs, because that directly is going to impact their ability to also meet the employer needs. So there's also a list of, of questions that you can ask yourselves, ask your leadership teams and think strategically about how you can start to uh, work towards um, providing this kind of opportunity for your people. Uh, another one in relation to this is, is reducing work interference with family, having weekends off. There are many more questions here that you can consider. I'm not gonna go through all of these right now, uh, but ultimately these will give you a great chance uh, to, to further engage and motivate your people and will allow organizations to think through how to leverage their, their virtual and hybrid teams in the future. So with that, let me um, stop sharing my screen again and then we'll pause and, and take any additional, any thoughts, questions that you might have. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, we have uh, ISIS and there is a question from Jose Daniel that I'm going to share with you. Uh, so you can start easy, please. Nice. Hi, teacher. Hi, professor. Good evening. Hello, how are you? I have fine. I have one question. What do you think are the new challenges of hybrid and virtual world in general? now after of quarantine the challenges of virtual or hybrid work now or after quarantine yes it is yeah i i think one of the bigger challenges of virtual work uh, has been how do you have a sense of belonging in the workplace how do you help people have a shared culture shared um, language shared vision when they don't see each other very often, if ever, uh, and when they're not ever physically together. That really can be a challenge. Now, it's certainly possible to do, um, but you have to be more proactive about doing it. So when we're face-to-face, -face, there's all sorts of casual interactions that we have constantly with, with our colleagues. 
we just see them when we're walking up and down the hall uh, and we just are able to chit chat. We're able to um, share stories and experiences. We're able to get support and all of this can happen rather organically. Uh, and so organizations you know, may have taken for granted a lot of that organic communication of values and norms and and helping people feel a sense of community and belonging. That can happen virtually, but you have to be much more um, explicit about planning for it and carrying it out. Um, you know, having things like virtual office hours, having virtual check-ins, giving people an opportunity to have uh, virtual happy hours and other ways to connect in meaningful ways. Uh, it can be done, but you just have to be thoughtful about it. So I would say that's the biggest challenge uh, with virtual work. Um, in terms of hybrid work, I think there, you know, there's also challenges. One of the things I'm most concerned about, frankly, uh, because there's been research to show that virtual workers actually have higher levels of productivity than people who are in the office. Um, there's been quite a bit to, to demonstrate that. Uh, what I worry about, though, is uh, dis increasing disparities between those who are in the office versus those who are virtual. So if 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 your hybrid workplace essentially is some people are face to face and other people are 100 percent virtual, I think the potential to have huge disparities between um, those who are virtual and those who are face to face is is really large. Uh, so, for example, uh, gender disparities and inequities, gender gap in leadership opportunities. Uh, we know that women disproportionately take on a higher level of the child care, the, the home responsibilities, elder care, and those sorts of things. And so if, if a woman is feeling like she needs to have a virtual work arrangement so she can also help take care of those other types of tasks, um, you could very quickly find uh, disproportionately women taking virtual um, work arrangements, disproportionately men taking face-to-face uh, -face work arrangements, and the, the automatic bias based on attention of who's there with you in the office is going to disproportionately um, benefit men in the workplace getting more leadership roles and those sorts of things. And so there's already been studies um, that are that are indicating we could see uh, 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 moving backwards you know, a generation in terms of uh, gender disparities in the workplace and and the gender gap and leadership opportunities and those sorts of things. So I, I really worry about that with hybrid work. Um, I think the answer is that hybrid shouldn't mean some people are 100% face-to-face, some people are 100% virtual. Hybrid should mean that there's more of a give and take and an ebb and flow in that, you know, I might stay at home to work three days a week and I might come into the office a couple days a week when we're having team meetings to to brainstorm and to collaborate and to do important um, uh, work meetings. But otherwise I can work virtually be beyond that. So that that would be the kind of arrangement which would really limit the negative impacts of having hybrid work. Uh, it would really leverage the benefits of virtual work and uh, I think could ultimately, um, you know, it could potentially be the best of both worlds. Jonathan, we have many questions and hands up uh, in the chat. We have um, about five questions. Um, Matthew and Jose Daniel uh, have uh, their hands up. So uh, 
Matthew, go ahead, please. Thanks, teacher. Well, good afternoon. I would like to, to make a, a comment. What the teacher say about the flexibility to deal with family matters. He made very important to me as well as the question that are were expressed in dark part. I think that is very important. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's hugely important that we need to have that flexibility. Um, and we as leaders have the opportunity to take away barriers. Um, I, I think there's a lot of tradition around the way we work and the way that we arrange our office time uh, and our work time. And a lot of those don't need to be that way moving into the future. And so uh, so we can dismantle some of those traditions that no longer serve us and better leverage the flexibility that can come through hybrid work, through virtual work, through adopting you know the types of policies that will allow us to be more flexible. Okay, now Jose Daniel, thank you. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, teacher, could you hear me? Could, could... Yes, can hear okay, you. Okay. Uh, yes, uh, my question is about uh, how we can uh, make it, uh, deals between the workers that are working virtually and the ones that are uh, in the company. Uh, my, I, I will explain my situation. I've been working for a couple of months uh, in a new company and the uh, people who are working uh, presentially, they are in the company. They, it's like for a relationship, it's, it's harder because we can't communicate the way that they used to do with the people that it's in the company. Uh, I, I'm not sure if, I'm, if I've been clear. Uh, and I think that's something that it's, uh, it's hard for us that are virtually and there are some others that are uh, in the company. So what do you think that we can do to break these kind of barriers um, to improve this communication and and in the way that you said that we need to also uh, improve the cultural uh, stuff that the company said to us that we have to work. Uh, it was clear the question. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I think it comes back to just being very deliberate uh, about what we're trying to accomplish. And when we need to collaborate, when we need to innovate uh, and we need to uh, brainstorm and have working meetings, those are the types of um, those are the types of times that are, are ideal to be together physically together whenever possible. Um, but most of the other types of things that we do, and even most, excuse me, even most of the other types of meetings that we find ourselves in, don't necessarily need to 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 be face to face. Um, and so, being more accommodating to people who are virtual making sure that we're being being extra um, purposeful about trying to include everyone. So if we do happen to have some people together face to face in a meeting and we have some people joining virtually, it's our job as a leader facilitator of that meeting to make sure that those who are virtual also have opportunities to contribute um, and that their contributions are acknowledged and valued. Uh, if, if we're deliberate about it, we can make it happen. 
Thank you, Yuri. Okay, uh, thank you, teacher. Well, um, we have uh, some comments here and questions. Uh, Tibayo uh, says that considering that communication is an important factor for in carrying out business tasks, do you think that communication with remote workers can be the same or more effective than face-to-face -face employees, than with face-to-face -face employees? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it depends on the organization and the leader. Um, but generally speaking, I, I like to have things documented. So if I'm meeting with people virtually uh, through like a Teams meeting, we can record the session and then that way we have documentation of it. We can go back and review it if we need to. If I'm sending someone an email or a chat, I have a record of what we discussed, what we agreed upon. Um, a lot of the problems that happen with communication and misunderstanding in organizations happens when people are casually chatting, say, you know, you grab someone in the hallway and you have a conversation and it's kind of assumed that everyone understands uh, what was discussed and what was agreed upon and there's never any follow up. And so mis inevitably misunderstandings occur and there's no documentation. Um, now, certainly there, there are ways to remedy that in the face to face workplace. Um, there's lots of things that you can do to make sure that communication is clear. But my my feeling is, generally speaking, as long as we're taking efforts to include people who are virtual and, and connecting with them, having check ins, the fact that there's a, a record and a, um, there's documentation for everything that happens, uh, it, it actually can lend itself to clearer, more transparent communication, which I think is good for most organizations. Okay, thanks. Uh, Wendy have a very good question. What does it take to succeed in an every work environment? Uh, sorry, can you say that again? What does it take to succeed in an hybrid work environment? What does it take to have success in a hybrid work environment? Um, again, I think ultimately we just have to be clear about what our, our guiding principles are around how we design our work. Uh, we need to be clear about who we want to be physically in the workplace and why, who we're okay with being virtual and why, at what times do we try to all be together in person versus when are we fine collaborating virtually online. These are the types of, we need guiding principles around all of this um, that ultimately so that we can um, be clear with each other. Uh, we just need, you need to be very explicit when, when you move to hybrid, I think even more so than virtual. Uh, when everyone's virtual, you know, kind of everyone's in the same boat. But when you're hybrid, it can be very, very easy to only pay attention to those people who are physically in the office and kind of ignore, you know, out of sight, out of mind. You don't even think about the people who are virtual that much because they're not around. That's a big problem. And so we need to make sure that we don't allow that to happen. Okay. Um, thank you, Jonathan. Uh, Natalie asks, it is difficult to build a really solid and successful hybrid model. Sorry, can you say that again? Is it difficult to build a really solid and successful hybrid model? Um, I don't think it's necessarily any more or less difficult or easy than any other mode of work. Uh, I think regardless of our modality, uh, whether we're face-to-face, -face, hybrid, virtual, uh, having a, 
a well-designed workplace with well-designed jobs um, that are meaningful uh, and impactful where where we can leverage the motivation of our people uh, that that's a challenge whether you're face-to-face -face, virtual or hybrid um, and I, I think most organizations don't spend enough time thinking about that and in terms of how they design their jobs and ultimately if you as an organization decide that the things like flexibility are uh, really important to you uh, so that you want to have virtual options or hybrid kind of arrangements then at that point you can't you can design uh, effective hybrid work models just like you can design effective face-to-face -face or virtual ones um, but you have to know why you're doing it and then you have to be very uh, you, you have to be very purposeful about how you go about um, the the job design okay um, Jennifer asks, how to avoid a system in which face-to-face -face workers are better rewarded, re rewarded, <laughs> sorry, rewarded, um, valued than workers who work from home? Yeah, and that's my main concern uh, about hybrid models. Uh, you have to just be very explicit about the opportunity for everyone to contribute. You have, if, if I'm leading a team where some are in person and some are virtual, uh, then I have to go out of my way to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to be, con to contribute and to be involved. And I have to make sure that I'm checking my biases and not allowing uh, FaceTime to influence my decision-making about who I think is, is a better employee. Um, it's certainly possible, but yet you have to pay very close attention to it. Well, um, I have a comment uh, from Jorge Luis, and he says that, um, I'm sorry, it's, it's very small <laughs> for me. Uh, we can say that the relationship between innovation and employment has led to an improvement in working condition as well as a reduction in their time, productivity, has improved, improved and avoid all there is more effect, uh, effectiveness in the work. Yeah, that's, that's a great, that's a great comment. And I think those are all the benefits of innovation. So we should embrace innovation. Um, you know, we, we need to be thoughtful about it. So when there's new innovations, new technologies available, uh, we adopt things that make sense and that work for us. Um, and but we don't need to be afraid of it and we don't need to be afraid of change that comes from these disruptive innovations. OK, I put some now. <laughs> Marcos says, uh, are people really more productive in a virtual and every world of work? I think this is difficult to answer. <laughs> it depends on the job, um, but generally speaking, yeah, there's actually quite a bit of research that shows that there's been big productivity gains over the last 18 months as people moved, as as uh, lots of people move virtual. Uh, so it's not universal by any means, um, but generally speaking, uh, yes, people have been more productive when they're virtual. There's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, things like you, you're not commuting anymore. Um, when people feel like they have autonomy to take breaks when they need them, then they come back more refreshed and they're able to be more productive during their working hours. Um, that has a big part of it. People like to be able to, you know, 
I drop my kids off at school and then I come into work and then I go pick them up from school and I help them do their homework and then I go back to work. Um, you know, those types of things, when I have flexibility to do that, uh, people tend to be more productive. Um, and so there, there's a variety of reasons for it, but yeah, generally speaking, uh, virtual work and, and hybrid work where that flexibility exists, it's been shown to, to result in higher levels of productivity. Of course, I agree with you. Um, the, we have the last questions. Do you think performance is hybrid or virtual for you? I'm not quite sure what that question is getting at. Uh, I think you can perform very well in both hybrid or virtual work environments. Uh, personally, I prefer hybrid. Um, I really, I, I've worked in a hybrid kind of an environment for a long time. Uh, I live close to the university where I work, and so you know, I can work from home, I can hop down, go to meetings, I can be in my office some days, be at home other days. Uh, so that's that's kind of how it's been for me my whole career, and I really prefer that. Okay. Um, the last question is, do you think it would be better to continue with a hybrid model and put uh, aside the obligation to attend a company? Um, I, I think hybrid is is preferable to forcing everyone to come back in person. Uh, I, I think companies that are trying to do that are going to find that uh, so many individuals in the labor force have grown accustomed to working virtually and having more flexibility and autonomy. And they also recognize that things they used to take for granted and just kind of assumptions about the way they worked don't apply anymore. Uh, so people want that flexibility. And if I'm forced to go into the office and there's no good reason for me to be there other than my boss wants me to be there, uh, more and more people aren't going to put up with that. Um, and, you know, you've heard about the great resignation. Uh, the labor market is interesting right now. It's tight. People have lots of options. And if a company wants to attract and retain good people, uh, they, they have to be flexible and accommodating to what uh, what workers want and workers want flexibility. Okay, thanks everyone. Have a good night. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership. Ordinary, everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life.
check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.